It's Mike Novogratz here. We are with Next with Novo, our new podcast, bringing in luminaries like Joe Lubin, my college roommate and friend, the CEO of Consensus, uh, one of the co-founders of the Ethereum Project, all-around crypto guru, excited for the conversation. Joe, thanks for being here. Mike, this is great. Very excited. I wondered what you're going to do next. <laughs> That's it. My new career. Um, listen, you know, I want to start way back. Joe and I were college roommates. Uh, and interestingly enough, the whole idea of Next with Novo was, you know, trying to figure out what comes next. Uh, and I'd been lucky enough to have this wild network of people that have often given me directions. And I've heard their stories and said, hey, that's he's right. And Joe, you know, from early on, you know, he was a computer science major at school, but he got into longevity. I remember him talking about longevity in 1988, uh, way before people were talking about longevity. Uh, he got into AI music, you know, computers generating their own music and AI vision in 1989, 1992. Uh, and so it doesn't surprise me that he got into crypto early. So Joe, talk a little bit about your childhood. I'm gonna take you way back. Like, were you always curious? Like, how you know you you've had this visionary uh, capacity? Uh, was it curiosity? You know, you grew up where? Give us a little Joe Lube in the early days. So I grew up in Toronto, um, sort of the North York, northern part of Toronto, and then for uh, ninth grade, I uh, think call it grade nine up there. Um, I moved downtown and, and went to a, a public high school. Really good school. Um, I was fairly normal. Um, I liked sports, uh, played a lot of street hockey, was a tennis player, squash player, family skied a lot. So that's sort of conventional kid stuff. Um, I was pretty creative. Uh, so I, uh, I built lots of model airplanes and I did a lot of painting and drawing and stuff like that. Um, but I was, I, I think, definitely out there. Like I was probably not um, normal in terms of how I thought about things um, with respect to my many family members. And I got uh, really lucky uh, to be in some good public schools. Um, in seventh and eighth grade, I was in a, a special math program. I don't know how many schools have special math programs in seventh or eighth grade back then, but uh, uh, they ended up pulling a few of us aside and uh, letting us dial into the University of Toronto computer and, and run through some computery and math exercises. And, and then uh, really, really lucky, uh, I went to Jarvis Collegiate Institute in downtown Toronto and they had a pretty sophisticated computer science program for high school. It's kind of shocking how fast things have moved in whatever, 35 years. So Princeton, what was the computer, what was computer science like back then, right? Jeff Bezos was a classmate of yours or one year ahead in, in the same department. Uh, it was small, I, I asked the, the, the head of computer science, it's now the largest major at Princeton. And back then it was, I think, 16 kids in our year. So it uh, by itself, it wasn't a major. I, my major was electrical engineering and computer science. And so I did uh, a pretty good number of electrical engineering courses. Um, and I, I definitely um, was much heavier, especially as my uh, um, career went on at Princeton, much heavier on the computer science side. Um, and it was about learning uh, 
languages and learning data structures and learning algorithms and, and learning um, discrete mathematics and learning certain kinds of problems, uh, how to write programs that solve certain kinds of problems, uh, like salesman problems. Um, it was uh, really basic stuff. All right. So you, you leave Princeton, you graduate from Princeton, you had great roommates. Let's, 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 let's highlight what great roommates you had at Princeton. <laughs> I think that's really what, what made me. Um, a set of great roommates uh, created a, a competitive environment that uh, enabled us all to uh, get strong and, and learn how to succeed. So you leave and you probably went on the most circuitous path of any of our 11 roommates. Um, and in some ways it's kind of cool because probably have ended up in the most influential seat of the, of the gang. Um, but it was a, it was not your normal career path. Um, so I have always had always been fortunate enough to be able to do roughly what I wanted to do to pursue things that, uh, that I was curious about. Um, my goal after college, uh, was, bum around a little bit uh, and then maybe find out where Ridley Scott was and, and go offer to, to sweep floors on sets uh, so that I could watch him work. Um, he'd already uh, put out Blade Runner, uh, one of my favorite movies. And uh, obviously I did not uh, seek out Ridley Scott and, uh, and sweep floors and, and learn how to make uh, brilliant movies. Um, instead, uh, what I ended up doing uh, right after college, uh, was um, I was hanging out in Toronto for a little while, and I was getting to the point where I needed a job. Um, and I was, uh, as you know, I was a squash player on the squash team uh, at Princeton. Um, and uh, in that autumn, I uh, was interested in becoming a a squash coach. Uh, so I would be a, a squash professional at a club in Toronto, um, and that would give me the freedom to uh, do some fun things and, and still uh, maybe play squash at a high level and teach people squash. Um, so what I started doing was uh, playing squash tournaments, and, and I was lined up uh, for a job. I hadn't accepted the job, but uh, uh, you know I was going to make a, a commitment at some point soon. Um, and I ended up uh, playing a few professional squash tournaments um, uh, that autumn. Um, drove around uh, to northeastern U.S. cities. Uh, one of the tournaments was in Philadelphia. Um, and I ended up uh, visiting campus, um, hanging out with some friends. I stayed with Aisha, a friend of ours. And, uh, um, and I ended up running into a professor of civil engineering and operations research named Alan Kornhauser. Um, Alan Kornhauser had always been a fan of the squash team. Uh, and so he um, and I talked and uh, for my thesis, uh, for my junior work, uh, I did two semesters of independent junior work um, and my thesis, I did work on artificial intelligence and I, I read really voraciously. Uh, I was hanging out in the cognitive science lab at Princeton and just collected a huge number of papers there. And so I was, I was turning myself into uh, a bit of an expert in a field of artificial intelligence called neural networks. Uh, and so uh, Alan Kornhauser 
ran the robotics laboratory uh, at Princeton, or he was responsible for it, and he offered me a job right there. Uh, he said, uh, why don't you uh, join my team? You can manage the robotics lab. You can do a bunch of research in neural networks, uh, artificial intelligence, and and you can go play your little tournaments on weekends. You can train, train with the squash team. Uh, and that sounded really great to me, better than uh, uh, getting paid uh, some number of dollars per hour to, to teach a bunch of people how to play squash. Um, and so I, I took the job, um, became part of, uh, of staff at Princeton, and um, I didn't end up playing a lot of squash after that. I, I just got so obsessed with the opportunity to learn more uh, about uh, AI and build uh, AI software and create, uh, we, we had uh, state-of-the-art silicon graphics, uh, computer graphics machines, and so we would build these models of robots and we'd build um, uh, environments in which we would cut roads and have vehicles drive along those roads and uh, built a little simulated vis vision system and we taught uh, uh, neural nets how to drive uh, in those environments. And so I, I ended up doing about 10 years of that kind of work. Um, I worked for a company in Boston after about five years uh, uh, on staff at Princeton. And then I worked, uh, and, and so that was about building real uh, physical robots that drove around and, and navigated based on vision systems that uh, we built. Uh, and then I, I applied to some of that uh, in the domain of music with uh, uh, my friends, Tom and Andy. Uh, uh, so they had a music company and they felt that they were going to be disintermediated at some point by AI uh, and they wanted to, to disintermediate themselves. They were making lots of music for MTV and Oliver Stone movies and, and things like that. And so we ended up building software that uh, did a pretty decent job of uh, autonomously composing music. All right. So we have this story of a young you know, boy born in Toronto, raised by nice parents, good public school, curious, lots of jobs that were kind of cutting edge and cool. What's the transition from that guy to religious zealot going to change the world, going to help rebuild the, the infrastructure of the way the finance and the, and the whole system of the world operates? Give us a little of that chapter. Sure. So I uh, spent a bunch of years as a computer consultant. Uh, I ran the uh, New York office of uh, computer consultancy uh, called Blacksmith. Um, we were just solving problems for large organizations, uh, career companies, HBO, um, TIAA craft. Um, and uh, I ended up uh, taking a job at Goldman Sachs um, and uh, building out a, a sizable software project uh, for a little while there. Um, ultimately, uh, as you're aware, uh, an individual uh, asked me to help him run a hedge fund. Um, he actually asked me to, to help build the, the back office. Um, he was running a, a strategy um, in-house uh, with a wealthy family and, and doing well. And, uh, and I said, great. Um, and after a couple of weeks, uh, uh, he liked the idea that uh, he had a partner and uh, could sleep in um, and um, make trading decisions towards the end of the day and uh, uh, 
so I ended up uh, getting involved uh, in uh, trading other people's money, um, but also needing to pay attention to the world. Um, so previously, uh, and I think you've heard this story before, I all my friends at college who were econ majors uh, were just crazy. The dismal science, uh, just not a science. It's just, uh, um, you know, what is that all about? Uh, the only thing that uh, really should be relevant is hard science, uh, creative things like uh, the development of AI. And so um, I didn't realize what an incredible world, um, what I call the big game, is uh, the game that you've been playing for a really long time and, and doing a remarkable job at. Uh, and so I started paying attention uh, because of that context that I found myself in uh, to economics, finance, geopolitics, etc. And I came to the understanding that, uh, um, or the belief that uh, we're pretty fucked. Um, and you know, there were, <laughs> at, the, at the time, uh, uh, lots of people were occupying everything and, and trying to just raise an alarm. Um, There's so much debt in the system. Uh, monetary systems were looking like they were end of life. And the average age of a monetary system is 70 years anyway. And so this should be expected. Um, the uh, structure of politics and economics uh, and business um, was not a really healthy one. Uh, you could have a bunch of organizations paying lobbyists to change the rules. Um, banks could uh, lever up their bets and then get bailed out uh, by the taxpayer. Um, and uh, I just felt like uh, um, we were careening into a pretty bad situation in various countries of the world uh, because uh, there was so much debt in the system and I didn't see a great way out. I thought about it quite a lot um, and I just I felt that there would need to be some sort of amazing growth engine um, that would enable us to grow our way uh, out of all the debt. Uh, so very early 2011 I, I read a white paper uh, by some entity named Satoshi Nakamoto, and the uh, light went off for me pretty instantly. And I felt, uh, hey, um, we don't have to stress or complain. Um, here's uh, a direction, uh, and we can, uh, those of us who are creative and, and technical, can uh, uh, start getting busy uh, trying to build uh, an alternative foundation so that the world can re-architect itself. And, uh, in sounder ways. But it's interesting because, you know, you, 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 you become a political economic thinker. You really had a, an interesting understanding, um, but no solution. <laughs> um, uh, and I've never seen you angry in my whole life. Uh, I wouldn't say you were angry. I think you were more distraught and frustrated. Um, you find this white paper and looking from the outside in, it was almost like a religious epiphany uh, that set you on this mission in life. Um, did it feel like that? Did it feel like, ah, I'm saved, like we're saved? Or was it just, let me just keep me meandering? That would be too strong a characterization uh, right away. 
uh, although I think it uh, it certainly got that way. I, I did um, uh, incessantly um, read, uh, turned myself into an expert on Bitcoin technology, which evolved to be called blockchain technology. And there were a handful of projects that were going on that were exciting. Uh, I uh, certainly got religious about it uh, pretty quickly. And that took the form of understanding that uh, we for millennia have lived in a world uh, where trust was bestowed or conferred on our systems uh, via subjective mechanisms, usually mediated uh, via centralized structures, uh, governments, judges, bosses, uh, etc. Um, and that with decentralized protocols, because everybody could understand and agree about exactly which transactions happened when, and the the cost of reversing the history of that system was so enormous uh, that uh, these transactions were essentially non-reputable. You can't uh, you can't go into a database and, and rewrite the database. Uh, you can't cheat the system effectively. Uh, so that uh, enabled people who understood it at the time uh, to realize that uh, hey, we can build a new trust foundation for the planet, um, and that's going to be the foundation or pretty much everything. We now see the early stages of a, of a global digital asset settlement layer uh, being built. Uh, a lot of it, most of it's being built on Ethereum right now, um, but uh, there, there will be other protocols that, uh, that will be part of it. And uh, uh, once, once we have uh, a deep and broad financial system built, from decentralized protocols, just as the United States has a, a deep and broad financial system, um, that's gonna attract uh, either new kinds of businesses or legacy businesses to, to re-architect their systems in much sounder ways. It's pretty cool. So when I first visited you in Brooklyn, it would have been early January or maybe late December of six, 15, 16. Like, I think it was January 16. And you were, mapping this out, uh, consensus was maybe six weeks old or two months old. Um, I was impressed with the fact that you actually had employees, uh, <laughs> that there were these, you know, 20, 25 people that I always say were mapping out this revolution. And it was the first time I understood that the crypto movement, Bitcoin, Ethereum, blockchain, really had a revolutionary zeal to it as opposed to you know, I originally bought it as a speculative asset and thought this is kind of cool technology and it's going to go higher. Um, but what's kind of cool is that your description back then isn't that different than your description now. And in a short four or five years, I guess that's about five years ago, four and a half years ago, um, we've had a bubble in 2017, Ethereum going all the way from one or 16 cents to 1300, a collapse of that bubble. Uh, crypto asset prices went down 98%. And now we're here and that vision is really coming to life at an accelerating pace. You never lost confidence in that this was inevitable. Um, even though prices went up, I remember calling and saying, Joe, you gotta sell some of your damn Ethereum. It's just too high. You're like, ah. I got plenty of money to live. This is a long-term bet. Um, 
when you look at that 17 to 18 collapse, talk me through a little bit of the lessons learned, the psychology. How did you emotionally deal with that? How did it feel? Talk us through a little of that. To me, it wasn't a bet at all. To me, all this is inevitable. Uh, to me, um, this is the next uh, phase of the evolution of the internet and web protocols. I think uh, throughout my career, I was, again, lucky enough to, to do things that uh, were interesting to me and uh, certainly wasn't by design, but I ended up picking up a bunch of capabilities that uh, enabled me to be useful uh, in my current role. I certainly didn't set out to be a leader or a general, um, uh, but I found uh, because I was right place, right time, and very early, uh, and had resources uh, that uh, uh, that I could apply to building out things that I cared about, uh, and cared about these things because I realized that uh, um, global society um, needed to evolve. Uh, so that uh, more people, more small companies uh, could uh, uh, have greater agency, economic agency and uh, political agency. Um, so I did care about those things and, uh, and I found that uh, um, there were lots of philosophically aligned people uh, who shared um, my interests and my perspective and uh, um, I have facilitated uh, some of us getting together to, uh, to build out uh, some really cool systems that I think can have a, a profound effect on how um, humanity um, experiences life on planet Earth for maybe the next 100 years. So, you know, Ethereum is having a moment. Uh, we, just, we just did the beacon chain. You know, we're on our way to, to ETH2. Um, we've got central bank issued digital currencies or stable coins coming, uh, most or lots that will be built on the Ethereum blockchain. Visa just announced a, a big, uh, deal where they're going to build a level two solution on top of the Ethereum blockchain and, and, and use circle coin. They've got 20 million or 30 million merchants. Um, talk a little bit about Beacon Chain, ETH2. Give us some horizon. You've always been very uh, sober about how this is not going to happen overnight. That you know this stuff takes this time. We're getting there. Uh, give us a little bit of because uh, there's this, there's excitement right now. Prices have gone back up. You know, COVID kind of changed everything in lots of ways. Uh, but give us give us an update on ETH. Awesome. The Ethereum ecosystem, as you indicated, is firing on all cylinders right now. Uh, DeFi is exploding. Um, it's incredibly exciting to, to so many innovators around the world. Um, uh, like any uh, breakthrough or profound technology, it takes time uh, to bring it down the mountain to the masses. Um, and that involves uh, improvements in scalability usability, in privacy and confidentiality, um, and uh, in our ecosystem in, in the regulatory clarity. And programs on Ethereum 1 uh, will continue to operate uh, smoothly through any sort of transition. Um, uh, programming language that most people use uh, will continue to be available on Ethereum 2. 
Uh, and so similar to how companies like Apple Computer have transitions between CPU technologies and, and built in an abstraction layer so that uh, software developers either didn't have to do anything at all or only had to do a minor tweak in order to get their programs to run on the new architecture it should be uh, very, very smooth. And, and generally, um, when you upgrade an operating system as, uh, as we're effectively doing, you get uh, much more capability. So uh, 12, 18 months from now, uh, I look forward to, to having an infrastructure that can support uh, uh, an astonishing uh, amount of activity. I have this thesis that the tech companies are going to, that you're going to move from bank accounts to wallets in some ways. And so you've got PayPal and Facebook coming and all the tech giants saying, hey, I want to get into this finance game. I want to be part of the movement of people's assets, wealth, finances, insurance, derivatives, and everything else. So I have this just hunch that tech guys are more willing to eat themselves alive than banks are. Uh, and the banks are going to fight back with a regulatory lobbying front. Um, but it'll be interesting to, to watch play out. Banks are very significant, significantly technological institutions these days. Um, banks have a lot of really smart people uh, working there. Uh, so I, I think it's going to be an interesting tension uh, between how Banks are constrained uh, by the regulatory environments that they find themselves in um, and how uh, more agile organizations uh, can attract very smart people and um, build ways to make money um, that are much better either because they are sitting in a different jurisdiction or uh, because they've worked with the a legal team uh, to structure how they run their business so that uh, they're, they're falling outside of uh, certain aspects of regulation. New, new, new line of questions. So DeFi projects, you got any that you really love that, that have you've been like, wow, I wish I had thought of that, you know? Yes, we do. <laughs> There's uh, there's there's one that our uh, our Codify team is noodling on that I think is going to be massive. Um, so in general, I think insurance, um, parameterized insurance, uh, all sorts of uh, different approaches to insurance uh, is going to be just enormous. I think we're going to be insuring uh, microseconds of activity in in parameterized ways, and so. One, one of the, the brilliant individuals uh, who's been at Consensus for quite a while um, has sketched a, a very cool in, insurance protocol that uh, we're putting a bunch of effort into. So I should stop there for one sec. Tell people a little bit about what Consensus is today. You know, how many people, what are your divisions? How do you, it's, it's always complicated because it's a decentralized business. Uh, I give you lots of credit for completely buying into the religion of decentralization and actually building a decentralized business. Uh, consensus really started in 2015. Uh, it uh, took a different, uh, a few different forms. Um, it has been an American company. Um, eventually we established a Swiss mothership company uh, to, uh, which owned a bunch of our operating companies around the world. Um, and that's called 
Consensus AG. Um, and Consensus AG uh, was pretty much formed uh, to be a venture studio uh, to uh, educate, uh, to uh, foster adoption uh, for this technology that uh, we were all passionate about. Um, and uh, early on, we didn't think we could design the decentralized future, uh, but that uh, uh, we could attract philosophically aligned uh, best and brightest technologists and entrepreneurs, and uh, we would do a lot of experiments. Uh, we funded a lot of incubated projects and invested in some external projects and uh, essentially um, did a pretty good job being one of the, the main actors in our ecosystem to open up a, a brand new IT infrastructure. Uh, and. So that includes uh, Bitcoin and other protocols. Uh, we do a bunch of work in the protocol labs, Filecoin, IPFS space now. Um, <clears throat> but uh, we spent a few years uh, doing fun experimental things, uh, some of which have seen tremendous traction, uh, great product market fit, and have become pillars of our ecosystem. They are uh, some of the pieces that uh, uh, become very, very important to our company and, and to many in the ecosystem and played a big role in, in the build out of the ecosystem. Uh, so um, a couple of years ago, uh, we uh, realized that we had opened up an ecosystem in that uh, many organizations were streaming in. Um, organizations like Ernst & Young, Microsoft, Accenture, many startups. Um, and that we needed to get more disciplined, more focused. Um, we needed greater clarity and accountability inside our organization. And so we spent a bunch of time um, re-architecting things. And, and uh, more recently, we've seen uh, a lot, all those projects that, uh, that I just described uh, over the last couple of years, they've coalesced into a blockchain stack. And so what we did was we spun out a company called Consensus Software um, with that blockchain stack uh, as its core. And now um, uh, that entity is a, a coherent, um, a unified software product company that is configured to um, in powerful and sophisticated ways uh, enable organizations to build uh, blockchain solutions um, and we essentially offer infrastructure, developer tooling, uh, network launching capabilities, digital asset uh, issuance capabilities, and so much more uh, to both uh, legacy economy organizations as well as startups. So um, what Consensus is, is still that mothership organization which has a new mission, uh, which I'm really excited about, and, and uh, we can talk about uh, on our the next next with Novo session, if there is one, because um, it's just uh, it's just starting to land. And this new company, uh, Consensus Software, is uh, is tooled up and and just doing beautifully uh, in um, operating itself well, but also uh, helping many organizations uh, build with the technology. All right. So you spend most of your life uh, in crypto. <laughs> in blockchains, uh, you've been tireless 
in the last five years, uh, traveling, speaking at conferences, meeting programs. What do you do for fun these days when you want to unplug from the crypto world? I spend time with my girlfriend um, and I still I just do a lot of work. Uh, it's still pretty much fun. Um, it's, uh, it's a privilege. Your work is fun. Be, yeah, oh, it's it's incredible. It's a privilege to be uh, uh, working with so many amazing people. Uh, I love our company. I love our people, um, and uh, I'm just really grateful to, to be able to to do this. Last question: In how many years? So we're we're five years in. We're fifty six, or I'm fifty six. You're going to be fifty six. Um, when we're 70, do you think it'll really, we'll notice that, oh my God, we the blockchain revolution is now just a ubiquitous. Um, is it a 15 year horizon before this is ubiquitous and we don't notice it? Uh, is all this gonna be relevant? Is this is all this gonna be uh, ubiquitous? Um, I think we may, may be approaching a period where uh, we uh, need to embark on and uh, prevail through some difficult conversations, uh, maybe in this country, <laughs> maybe in other countries, but uh, technology is so powerful and so beneficial. Uh, uh, I'm comfortable that, uh, that it will uh, survive uh, and thrive. Um, and the potential um, for transforming things. So new trust foundation, new financial infrastructure, and then all sorts of businesses can re-architect themselves in, in more sound ways. Um, that's going to enable us to move from a world where we have uh, two political parties or uh, three parties in some places and one party in other places um, and parties that don't represent or serve 99% of the population very well. Um, it's going to enable us to move from um, having businesses which serve us in often a very adversarial way um, in order to extract as much profit. Um, uh, so whether that's a bank um, that is charging fees all over the place or whether it's Facebook um, that is uh, um, exploiting our attention and our personal information and performing uh, social experiments on the population. Um, we now have this uh, new trust foundation and these ways of creating collaboration networks uh, that are tokenized um, such that we can define projects. Uh, we can create our own magic internet money uh, for that project in the form of a token. Uh, we can define goals. We can uh, execute that work. Um, in this collective network, uh, and it can just be uh, mediated by a DAO or, or some sort of smart contract application on Ethereum, uh, will enable us to organize and, uh, and define and granularly solve our problems. Uh, and so uh, as a political construct, as a business construct, uh, I think we have the ability to, um, to take care of our needs uh, and uh, architect a much more dynamic, much more agile, uh, much faster moving society. Uh, so I, I fully believe that when we're 70, 
you and I will be living our lives um, as decentralized identities um, in collaboration networks where we play games, where we do business, uh, where we uh, vote um, on political issues. And uh, uh, I am confident uh, that uh, if we don't uh, run into any brick walls, uh, that uh, we have a chance to, to build a much better society. Well, Joe, that's, that's a great optimistic note to end on. Uh, a, I want to thank you for, for sharing your thoughts. Uh, it, they always kind of blow me away, and I'm sure I'll noodle on them all night. Uh, what's really cool is, you know, you said this very similar things, and we're on our path. And so I'll, I'll have you back, and we'll, we'll track. You know, it's also interesting. I want to point out, like, you know, Joe's been an Ethereum guy, but, like, I, same with me. He was also a Bitcoin miner, liked Bitcoin, liked the Bitcoin blockchain. And I think it's kind of crazy that we have these fights between, I'm a Bitcoin guy, I'm an Ethereum guy. I see Bitcoin as a really uh, simple use case as digital gold. And I see Ethereum really as this giant venture experiment to really rebuild the financial architecture of, of, uh, of the world. And not just the financial architecture, also the social architecture. Anyway, Joe, thanks a ton. Uh, Appreciate it. Um, what an honor. Thanks, guys.